Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 100 for Saturday, March 26th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney, and I'm joined by my co-host. Who suddenly realized it's episode 100 and didn't prepare. I'm Captain Sabriel Mastin. Hello, Captain. How are you today? I'm doing well. It's Saturday, and we are holding a special event today. We are holding a disco ball. Talking about Discovery Season 4. <laughs> and I brought a friend. Hello, everybody. Uh, yes, this is Charlene Smith. Hello, everybody. Applause, applause. Uh, your rank again? She's a vice admiral. Vice admiral, sheer effing hubris, something like that. <laughs> I don't even remember. It was a while ago. <laughs> I didn't even realize that you invited me for the 100th episode. That's amazing. Nothing but the best for you, Char. Uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, I, I tell Kenna he's the only one who counts the episode number, and now I, I wish I would have because I didn't. Even though I know we did episode ninety nine a bit ago, and it really hit me that one hundred follows ninety nine. I thought we just like start over at zero or something. I don't know, but <laughs> so it's sort of like podcasting Y two K bug. It'll just you know set. <laughs> you know, I put in an acquisition request, and we were budgeted for a third bite in our <laughs> podcast number, so we've been approved. Hooray! Yeah. Uh, so, Shar, you've been on the show before, but it's been a while. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about you? Sure. So, Sabriel and I became friends way back when now, <laughs> when I lived in Fargo, and we would have Star Trek marathons, and that was a hell of a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan, and I love pretty much any of the shows. I appreciate them for what they are. You know, I like some more than others, but... I just like Star Trek. <laughs> I've done lots of Star Trek podcasts. I do. I've done some Star Trek streaming. I also love Babylon Five, and I'm very active on Twitter. That's probably what you need to know about me. <laughs> what does it mean to do Star Trek streaming? Like live streams, so you can watch them on YouTube as they're happening. Right, but like, are we watching you watch Star Trek? Oh, uh, no. Usually it's something like getting together with other folks and talking about some topic or another. Got it, got it. Yeah. And and when you are active on Twitter, where is that on Twitter? What's your handle? My handle is Oh the Profanity. So it, it does contain a lot of Star Trek and swearing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Colorful metaphors. Many colorful metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> and as we were discussing before we started recording, you were on the show two years ago this month, just as the pandemic was shutting everything down. And we're so grateful you're still here to join us. So thank you. <laughs> I'm still glad. I'm glad we're all still here. I mean, it feels like we've lived entire lifetimes in those two years, doesn't it? It's crazy. Oh, my God. Yeah. In fact, today is March 756th. 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a good segue because Star Trek Discovery Season 4 was filmed during the pandemic. And Truth. Uh, maybe that can kick things off. I think in some ways it showed, but overall, I think they did a pretty good job. I agree with that. 
yeah, the social distancing is definitely in effect as much as possible. But overall, I don't think it had a massive impact on the quality of the show. Like I've seen other pandemic shot shows. In particular, I'm thinking the latest Doctor Who special. Like you can tell. <laughs> they're t- I'm glad they're taking precautions. I'm glad they're being safe. But it that did, I think, suffer as a result of COVID. Whereas this seemed really good, in fact, and maybe it did us a favor in slowing things down and making people talk. Yeah, this season really dived into the let's stop and talk about our feelings. And I pref- I like it. Um, as our guest last week, Kayla, pointed out, um, so a lot of Discovery feels like every scene they're trying to get an award. <laughs> yeah, I appreciated that analogy. I think it's true. <laughs> the things like um, I'm jump to Kayla. Like, the things that stood out stood out to me the most was um, Jet Reno Tignataro. Love her. Uh, with having to do with COVID. Yeah, she is so noticeably absent through the middle of the show, right? We yeah, get like, and then, what, five minutes with her to start? And then they save her for the very end, which is fantastic. But in the meantime, I was wondering, where the heck is she? Like, did they only have her for two days? What was going on? Uh, yeah, she was blue screen. She was there. And then her final scene was blue screened again. Um, mm-hmm. Ken, any thoughts on the COVID and Star Trek? Not particularly. I mean, as you said, there were times when they had to use either a blue screen or a green screen to get the actors into the same place. And it was as we commented, very noticeable when Kayla and Owo were finally back together because there were several episodes where it was one, the other, or neither of them. Uh, So they clearly continued to film despite limitations as opposed to putting the whole thing on pause. And I admire them for being creative and pushing the show forward. I'm sure the season would have come out maybe even sooner than it did if it not for the pandemic, but also it came out relatively quickly compared to the time between previous seasons like season three if i recall correctly debuted october 2020 and season four debuted october 2021 usually there's more than a year between seasons so kudos to them for sticking to a schedule despite these hardships and doing it all remotely too in terms of things like special effects and whatnot right that's true you can't necessarily go into the studio i mean i'm hoping that as I said, this started airing October 2021. Vaccines started becoming available March 2021 or thereabouts, give or take a few months based on your demographic. Yeah. So maybe under certain circumstances, there were limited studio openings, especially before Delta arrived in August and Omicron in November. Right. You know, by that point, they should have finished editing anyway. Maybe so. I, I don't know how that uh, that that all broke down just because they... I don't know if they ever eased on the COVID restrictions through 2021, even though we were waiting for vaccines and all of that. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we know like Picard shut down a couple of times because of COVID. True. I don't, yeah, I don't remember did. hearing about it happening to Discovery. Yeah. Maybe they just got lucky. Yeah. Nobody got sick and they were A-OK. I don't know. I'd like to hear some more behind the scenes on that. Yeah, I don't remember when Picard shut down. I know that it did. That 50% of their 450-person production staff all had COVID. Right. That I wasn't feel that like long that, ago, right? No, I feel like it was after Omicron. So like December or later. Yeah, when things were bad again, right? 
<laughs> that doesn't narrow it down. Never really again. Done. <laughs> again, again, again. Which time? No, I think right. you're right. Winter, though. Winter. Yeah. So maybe Discovery was just timed right that they avoided the worst of it. They very well might have. Before I dive too much into the actual like season itself, something else they introduced this season was the holodeck, the filming studio that was similar to The Mandalorian, uh, where you get a actual generated um, screen for the actors to play off of. Oh, cool. Um, I don't know if you've seen The Mandalorian, Char. I haven't. Okay. Um, they introduced new tech there, which is starting to spread to other shows where um, the actors are surrounded by a dome that ha- is made out of uh, projectors, and they have um, staff on hand to actually build a scene in um, like Unreal Engine. And so... Uh, instead of blue screen, they actually are staring out the back of the shuttle bay. Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yes. Yeah, so if you saw like more large shots, like the shuttle bay on board the um, Federation headquarters or Discovery, or even at the very the, um, last episode when they're visiting the 10C, um, all that was done in that huge, they call it the holodeck here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because you basically get to recreate the world. And uh, I thought that was super cool. That is super cool. And if you didn't even notice it, I mean, how, that's even better. Right? Yeah. I had no idea. So on the ready room, they're actually referring to it as a holodeck? Uh, they even had signs there. They talked about it on the ready room. And then they showed signs of them saying, like, welcome to the holodeck. For <laughs> anyone who actually was recording there. I find that very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> I I. Th- find that completely awesome i would want to go on the holodeck and shoot my scenes <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that would be so cool yeah but other th- other than the occasional hologram appearing on the discovery like i think captain burnham had some holodeck type functionality in her waiting room mm-hmm. we haven't seen an actual space on discovery designated as the holodeck so when you say like oh on this episode we're going to use the holodeck i was like wait really and they're like yeah to film it and i was like oh wait what <laughs> the real <Just> holodeck <laughs> yeah the quote unquote <laughs> it's a real thing right <laughs> don't tell me it isn't uh, if you're watching on your second or more viewings um look on the, when you're, you're when they're on the shuttle bay in any room um watch the people in the background not even the people like a group or two back, but the really far background, you'll see that they're darker in shades and they move very digitally. You'll see guards that are clearly digital versions of guards. You'll see groups of people that are clearly not there, um, but okay. they are standing. So like, it's one of those things, if you're watching the actors, you don't notice it. But if you watch um, the rest, like, yeah, it looks like blue screen, but no, it's actually, they're actually there. These, these graphics are there. So the actors can actually play off them. All right. I've got That's a reason really cool. to rewatch the season now. <laughs> Wait, you needed a reason? Well, yes and no. I mean, we we have like this embarrassment of riches right now in the Star Trek world where we're getting new Trek every single week. And darn if it's not hard to keep up sometimes. <laughs> so in terms of like rewatching Star Trek, I don't have a ton of TV time to myself. And so I can't say that I've rewatched Picard tons of times or even Disco any season tons of times. I, I don't. I just, I, I can't. <laughs> I'm just trying mm-hmm. to keep up on the shows that I'm trying to watch for the first time. <laughs> yeah, as I've told Bree, the only Star Trek I've rewatched is Next Generation. I've seen all of DS9, Voyager, Enterprise, but I've never gone back and rewatched any of it. 
maybe I should because it's phenomenal, some of those episodes. But also the really phenomenal episodes like Deep Space Nine's Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite or The Visitor or Far Beyond the Stars. Those are episodes that leave such an impression that it always feels like I just saw it yesterday. <laughs> yeah, those are seriously good. Yeah, so I almost feel like I don't need to rewatch it because it was so good the first time. That's true. And they'll always still be there. That's right. So it's not That's like right. there's any major hurry. I mean, Paramount Plus has my money and, and yours too, I presume. <laughs> <laughs> it's They're not going to go anywhere now. They're they're on there. And I have all the DVDs as well. So That's they're just good. waiting for me. Uh, but I think what would really be needed for me to watch it again is to watch it with somebody who's never seen it before. See, now that would be fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I have a friend who is showing me Steven Universe for the first time. She has seen every episode, and it's all new to me. So she's showing me the episodes that I, I really need to see, because she knows from experience, like, oh, this one doesn't really contribute much. It's, 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 it's nice, but it's not essential. Cool. And having her as my guide makes it for a more curated and more effective experience, in my opinion. You know, yeah. I feel like Modern Trek doesn't uh, do as well with that curated experience as classic Trek. You can't curate Modern Trek. I classic agree. being everything before modern stuff here. The serialized nature really does kind of mess with that ability to just pluck one episode out and watch it and you feel complete with it just because you know that there's things that, you know, you got to know things that happened before. And then you vaguely remember the things that happen afterward. And you're like, well, I, can I just stop at one? It, it feels yeah. like mm -hmm. a constant thing when you're not watching it brand new, you know, for that week. Uh, so sometimes I put on the Paramount plus live Star Trek channel, but if it's discovery or Picard, I just turn it off. So like, <laughs> uh, uh, not because I don't like those shows, but because like, I'm not going to jump into a serial show halfway through showing an right. episode. You can't commit. I do the same exact thing. Now, if it's TNG or Voyager, sure. Yeah. For the 15 minutes I have, I remember those episodes. I can follow along even if I'm just hearing it. You know, if I'm doing something around the house, that's fine. I will say one exception in my experience to Discovery is the season one episode where it's Groundhog Day with Harry Mudd. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that is a good one to pluck out. Yeah. I did show that to somebody who had never seen any other Discovery and or very little Discovery, and they picked up on it just fine. That was magic to make the sanest man go mad. Yes. Yeah. That's a good one. And speaking of rewatching, I actually rewatched the first two episodes of season four of Discovery this morning after I woke up while I was drinking coffee. Nice. That actually helped me inform some of the things I was not feeling as hot about uh, in season four. I think the big character who got the most, some of the most this week, or the season, was Book. Uh, yeah, most for sure. Stuff on there. And uh, not going to lie, like, I really did not believe his turn to follow Tarka in the last half of the season. Oh, you didn't? Like, he had been going through, like, he went through some hardships, he was very angry, he looked like he was on the mend, and all of a sudden, Tarka shows up, and I don't know, I just didn't believe that book would keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into, um, into the hole. And I just didn't believe any of it. Is it because Tarka was such an obvious villain? Well, and bouncing off that, I don't think the writers could decide if Tarka should be, um... 
someone who we uh what's the word for he's a he's the evil villain with the mustache twirling or he's someone that we should um feel empathetic for right yeah i i could never shake the whole okay this guy is obviously going to be the one that screws things up he's the bad guy the whole time so it I, one, I didn't feel that much empathy. Even when they revealed his backstory and why he's doing what he's doing, I just thought, yeah, okay, but you're still going to screw everything up for everybody else because of your selfish reasons? Well, that's not cool. And I don't know. He could have been a really interesting kind of menacing character, but they did not – I don't think they built him uh, – they didn't set him up for that. It was. It just didn't go that way. I never trusted him once. And so then when Book does team up with him, I'm thinking, ah, dang it. Book is probably going to die before the end of the season. That was my prediction for several episodes. I thought they're focusing so hard on Book, they're going to try and earn that moment so that he dies. And then he kind of did, but (laughs) we, we got the fake out death instead. Yeah, I didn't think that they would kill Book just because Burnham has had such a difficult love life so far. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's it, true. It would just be a little too Shakespearean for her that to continue to happen to her. Well, given how much Star Trek loves Shakespeare, that mm-hmm. I don't. I think that actually adds to the cause. Rewatching the second episode of the season, Anomaly, how angry Book was, and how this is the episode that he uh, Discovery had a little meeting with uh, Federation non Federation people at the start, and they're like, "We got to get some more information," so they go to the. DM, DMA, they added, they called it later on. They didn't call it that yet. And they tethered book ships to Discovery with the, the MacGuffin um, programmable matter. And this episode, book was so angry, so furious. And this is the book that I believe could have done all the stuff in the latter half of the season. Uh-huh. I kind of forgotten about that because it was so long ago now, weirdly. Um, November is it. But um <laughs> With how angry he was, I believe that that book would go help Tarka. But then they started doing this like latter half of the first half season where he's like, maybe, you know what? Maybe I am going to work through this. And it kind of left me wondering, like, if this season would have been more, one of those that is better without the week to week dishing out the information and instead doing the old Netflix style of throw it all out there. Because I obviously forgot some things from November. Yeah. You know, the more that you mention this, the more that I think I'm on board with what you're saying. The old book who's in red hot emotion, yeah, he would have teamed up with Tarka and I think we would have understood it. But they did do that thing where they tried to show that maybe he was going to move on and then he takes a drastic step back. It's not a good fake out. Uh, Yeah. I I was happy that they were going through therapy and talking about it. And that is very natural to fall back into your old habits. But here it didn't feel like earned feels like a strong, the right idea, but wrong word. Because uh, they were building towards um, working through it. And all of a sudden, eh, I fell back. And yeah, working through it and falling back would be a good story. But I think they just stumbled here. Yeah, I think it was too quick, honestly. So yeah, that's what I had to say about Book. I mean, he at the end, he, he got through it. He apologized. Now he's going through um, redemption. Um, by uh, rehabilitation in the Federation's updated penal system. Yeah, yeah. they basically sent him to work for Habitat for Humanity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that seems right. I do wonder next season what they're going to do with him since he won't be on the ship. Will he ha- like? Will he take a step back and let other characters rise up? Because you know, for as much as we got with, like, say. Uh, Adira, 
we could do so much more with her. We really need to get to know her more. Oh, them. I'm sorry, them. Yes, I'm so sorry. Yeah, gosh, watching those first two episodes again, we can jump to Adira. Adira was in the first two episodes and then completely gone into the last few episodes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, same with Ian, and I'm wondering if that was some COVID stuff too. I have a feeling it was. It just seems a little so deliberate. You know, I think normally in another season, we would have seen at least them in the background working around. I mean, they'd have a couple of lines here and there, but no, not this time. Heck, when I rewatched the episodes again, uh, the early episodes, I entirely forgot that the beginning of the season, Gray, didn't have a body yet. I forgot entirely that was this season. Oh, I know, because it happened so freaking long ago. Yeah. <laughs> it was like two years ago in our, our brains. Right? And that it was a golem body like Picard's. Like, I, I knew it, but I just kind of didn't forgot. I just kind of forgot about it. Yeah. Because it was just a, well, Gray's off onto uh, the Troll Home world. Uh, right. <laughs> never to be seen again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, it, is this over? Uh, well, what's going on here? <laughs> I don't understand. I'm, I'm confused about that. And then maybe where things might be going also with Tilly. Uh, yeah. Tilly starts the season off helping a spaceship that got hit by the DMA and then ends the season on a station that's getting hit by the DMA. <laughs> yes. And she's drinking whiskey with the... Admiral Vance. Yeah, I could not think of his name. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's cool that she went off on her own, like went her own way to teach at part of the academy. And have you read the novel that Una McCormick wrote about Tilly's backstory? No. Okay, that really informed me as to maybe where Tilly was coming from when she decided to leave Discovery for something else because she had kind of like this overbearing mother. And so for her to set out on her own and do something for herself was a very big freaking deal. And so I was really proud of her. And it also, I think, kind of lended itself to a lot of people like me who uh, we switched careers and did different things as a result of the pandemic because so many people reevaluated everything and realized, okay, we want to do something else. And that's what she did too. So that was relatable. Can we go on a brief tangent and talk about how you switch careers? Uh, sure, yeah, if you want. I, I want to hear that. <laughs> okay, what well, part? when the pandemic hit, I was working a nine-to-five. I was printing T-shirts, and it was a good job, and I liked the people that I work with. It was pretty low-key, but it was a long day. I had a commute both ways in L.A. traffic, which is no fun, and I started just reevaluating, like, do I really want to keep doing this? How much longer? What do I really want to do? How do I want to spend my days? And what ultimately happened is I sought help with a career counselor, essentially, helped me prioritize what I did want out of life and work and things that I like to do and kind of just stumbled into website development. I always liked making websites. I knew HTML and CSS, but never took it any further. And I thought, well, what if I did? I could learn this. I could get you know decent at it. I could do a remote job with it. It kind of checked all the boxes for things that I did want, which was work-life balance, working remotely, and doing something that I really do enjoy. And I do like web stuff. So I started taking classes, and I've been going ever since, and I'm freelancing. That's amazing. Good for you. <laughs> Thanks. I've One of the best decisions I ever made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
We should talk afterward about web development. That's exciting. Okay, yeah, let's. Cool. I, I could even bring that back to Discovery when their SQL in, in, injection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. That's a good cut. Yeah, Tilly did make quite the evolution this season. And she said she was coming back to the show in some capacity. We saw that in the finale. And between her and Adira and Tig and Gray, sometimes being there, sometimes not, going off doing their own thing, sometimes coming back. It reminds me a little bit of the revolving door cast of Deep Space Nine, where suddenly General Martok is a major character, and suddenly Jadzia Dax isn't there anymore. And it seemed like there was always somebody coming and going, somebody who would be important and then wasn't, or vice versa. And I really liked that about Deep Space Nine. It kept it interesting. And I wonder, like, we were curious what's going to happen to Gray. The answer might be nothing as far as we know. They might come back for a single episode like Wesley Crusher did in the final season of TNG. And that's it. They, yeah, maybe. These characters might not be regulars anymore. Yeah. yeah. How do you both feel about that being the the revolving door, as you called it, on Disco. Do you think it works? I think it's fine. We actually still got development with Adira. Even in the beginning of the season, I, which I forgot, I'm glad I rewatched those first episodes. They were kind of like, you know, trying to impress everyone. First it was Tilly. And later on, you know, it's, try- it's Detmer. Yeah. And um, they grew a lot. Because even in the first episode, Tilly's, uh, no, um, Adira was saying like, because they're in a high pressure situation. Like, of course I did all this stuff. Blah, blah, blah. And Tilly's like, no, you don't get to do that. We all triple check each other's work. And um, by the end, you know, Adira felt more like a crew member. Um, True. Feeling more confident in their abilities. Um, but then, but for real, the actor uh, was not really around the show very much, but I still think it worked out very well. That's what I'm getting to. I just, I, yeah, I don't know. I have, a, I don't know. I, I am a little torn one way or the other on the, the revolving door. Like I notice when some characters are gone and I'm thinking, Oh gosh, are we going to see them again this season? Are they just going to pop up or not? I don't know. Maybe I just like them all being a regular presence, Mm -hmm. but that's not the way this show seems to be going. It's not, you know, like Burnham is one of the main characters, but yeah, we have several, several, several more that just kind of roll through when they need to be used and then they go away for a while. Yeah, it's very different from Deep Space Nine where I felt characters had closure. When Jadzia Dax left, we knew she wasn't coming back. And <laughs> yet on this show, like, is Grey coming back? We don't know. At right. the end of last season, Saru left to go back to his homeworld and we were wondering, is he even going to be on the show next season? And within an episode or two, he was Burnham's number one. Yeah, like he was he was a pronounced presence this season, despite what the end of last season may have had us think. This and is so true. I, when, so when characters leave Discovery, we don't know where they're going and for how long and if they're coming back. And I feel like that is different from Deep Space Nine. Again, I only saw Deep Space Nine once twenty five years ago. Maybe I'm misremembering, <laughs> but I feel like we had more closure back then. Maybe our example with Discovery is if it's the end of the season they're leaving, we'll find a way to get them back. If it's the middle of the season, who knows when we're getting them back. That's Yeah, I think that's the rule. And you know what? Writers, 
that's not cool. (laughs) (laughs) Stop trying to fake us out by thinking the characters are going to be gone at the end of the season. We are on to you. We know you're full of it. (laughs) Um, Let's let's talk about Saru. Is that cool? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Go ahead and kick us off. Okay. Uh, One, really enjoyed his... Well, he didn't have some... I guess he did kind of have an arc. His romance... And developing <laughs> feelings and what to do about that, leading to one of my favorite moments of the whole season, which was him and Burnham just yelling it out, you know, where they have that <laughs> holler and they're being vulnerable with one another, which is something they could not have done with each other a couple of seasons ago. They have truly bonded. They are really good, like one two punch of a command team. And that was on full display this year. And I loved that. I dare say. We can see it more than with Picard and Riker. Yeah. And these two, not that Picard and Riker, they had their own relationship. But, you know, a lot of their legacy of being that close is what we're, is not necessarily shown on screen a whole lot, or it's the legend of it, them being close. And so we can see it. But these two, we actually see them hanging out, talking like this, having this moment in Discovery. And maybe it's just a difference in television, too. It could be, right? Just because the storytelling really was different in the TNG day, but it's also a different relationship. And even though we're talking about a a very similar dynamic of like, we know that they trust each other and can rely on one another. The portrayal though really is different. It is much more obvious between Burnham and Saru. Well, let me ask you this. It's not uncommon in storytelling to have a triumvirate of egos. So for example, in the original series, you had Spock, who was the logical one, McCoy, who was the passionate one, and Kirk, who sort of synthesized. He took advice from his two counselors and made it his own. Same thing in Harry Potter. Ron was the passionate one, Hermione was the logical one, and Harry synthesized the two. So have we seen that in Discovery? If Saru is the logical one, who is his passionate counterpart sitting on Burnham's other shoulder? Hmm. I don't think they have a triumvirate in Discovery. Not yeah, I don't think that paradigm completely works. It times maybe it could be book being the passionate emotional one in connection to Michael, but it's not the same dynamic. I agree. He not being a Starfleet officer has very little, if any, interaction with Saru, whereas yeah. you always saw Spock and McCoy playing off each other, and same yeah. with Ron and Hermione. Yeah, it's um, a duo, not a trio. Uh-huh. Mm. And here, and even then, it wasn't pushed a lot as a. These two are talking, and they were did plenty of talking together. But it wasn't. It just, it's a different feeling of like council because Michael would just talk to anybody who had experience more. Yes. Oh, Michael is opening up so much more, and I think this is a part of what's made her such a good captain this season. Is she's not feeling anymore. I don't think like okay, I have to do this all myself. She is consulting with her fellow officers, saying, "Okay, time out. Let's." talk about this. What can we do here? And calling um, on on her crew, knowing that they can help. Like, uh, what was it? The second to last episode where Detmer and, uh, shoot, <laughs> I'm brain farting on names today, guys. But she calls on them to help with whatever's going on with the 10C to try and interpret and get some perspective on what it is they're doing and how can they communicate. So she calls on them, they come down, they help, and then they go back to the bridge. And I just thought, yeah, that's fantastic. 
that's actually something that in the first episode, President really calls Michael out on. That's right. She says something in the Kobayashi Maru episode. She tells Michael, like, do you know what your briefing or your, your file said about you when you came back? Like, basically, you have this huge thing, but you need to do everything yourself. So this whole season was a good share of Michael relying more on her resources and not just her, I have to do this. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. I'd kind of forgotten about that. But yeah, he calls her out on that. And she actually takes that feedback and works on it. That is a big part of her arc this season. In the first three seasons, we certainly saw her willingness to go rogue and be a maverick. In the very first pilot episode, she knocked her captain unconscious in order to get things done her way. Yeah. And we would not see this Burnham do that at all. She, yeah. We don't have to worry about her violating her crew's trust because she's so confident that she is doing things the right way. She actually takes the time to convince them or to be convinced. Yeah. Yeah, going both ways there. That's That's good stuff. Yeah, it was such a risky choice, a bold choice in the first season to make our main character A, not a captain, B, an outcast. And yet it was necessary for this arc, kind of like Han Solo in the very first movie. He was just a, a ruffian who was only interested in himself and getting paid. And that makes it so much more pronounced at the end of that first trilogy where he says to Leia, you love Luke, don't you? And she says, yeah. And he says, okay, I will step aside because your happiness is more important than mine. That arc begins with him shooting Greedo first. Now, you need to have that happen in order for the end of the third movie to make sense. And same thing with Burnham. She needs to have knocked her captain out cold in order for this fourth season to be so much more meaningful. It's true. It's true. And I think a lot of people did not like the fact that they started Burnham out that way. She maybe wasn't the most likable character, but look at her now. I think a lot of the objections to the first season were also just that it was a darker show and not just visually, but in tone, like the way the ship was run. And we learned over the course of the first season, spoiler, if you haven't seen it yet, that the captain was from the mirror universe. And that explains a lot. He was running his ship like you do in the mirror universe. Yeah, that's a little dark. (laughs) Yeah. And once we replace him with Captain Pike, things got so much better. (laughs) It was definitely a tonal shift, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, even Pike said, let's have a little fun along the way. Right? Yeah. Speaking of which... Complete side note, Strange New Worlds, I'm ready. Very soon. Yeah, we have not talked about the teaser trailer at all on this podcast. And for me, that's because it didn't show much other than that Pike likes horses. Well, And that's fine. Like The purpose of a trailer, in my opinion, is to encourage people who weren't going to see or buy something to do so. I don't need to be sold on Strange New Worlds. It's true. Um, it's Is it generating excitement for people who are not fans who are already going to watch the show, though? That's the big question. And what, I'm, what I'm hearing is that people who want to watch Strange New Worlds are the people who want a return to episodic Trek. And that describes me as well, but not in contrast or instead of Discovery, but as a complement to it. 
Yes, definitely. I'm so grateful that we have so much new Trek coming out in a variety of flavors. So if something doesn't totally click for you, that's okay because something new is coming down the pike in a matter of weeks. Exactly. Uh, like me and Prodigy and that kid. I, that kid. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> which which kid? Doll? Oh, what's his butt? What's his butt? Yeah, Doll. Hate oh. him. Hate that kid so much. He's a ruin <laughs> or hurts Prodigy for me. Well, he, I mean, he's supposed to be this cocky, overconfident oh, teenage boy. Oh, oh. <laughs> that He had to start there. He had to be annoying. He didn't, I, I think that's very true to being a teenager, right? You don't even know how annoying you are until you do. <laughs> oh, but I, I don't know. I think over time he's gotten better though. So I don't know if you've watched all 10 episodes. I put the last ones on. The last episode that's out was one of the best ones besides the Janeway arc because he was not being his annoying self in the first half. Yeah, kind of like Burnham here. He had to learn to talk with his team and trust other people. And that was a big issue for him. He, well, and life had taught him at that point not to trust anybody. He could only trust himself. Made a lot of sense. But seeing the this ragtag group come together, it's been pretty cool. I don't know. I really like Prodigy, but I can see why that was grating, especially at first. Uh, like everything else to think about that show, except for him. <laughs> <laughs> um, we started this talking about Saru. Uh, talk, I want to talk more about Tamina and Saru. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, let's talk about that. I forgot that they kind of hinted about this at the first season of this episode a little bit more. I forgot about a hint um, until I watched again this morning. When they are all standing around talking about what will become known as the DMA. Tarina says something kind of confirming something Saru says, and she just makes eye contact with him. And the next scene, it's Tilly and Saru uh, walking down and Tilly keeps like looking at him. He's like, what? He's like, oh, nothing. I'm like, no, what? And she's like, you seem taller. Uh, <laughs> totally him like, Kind of, this is like him blushing and like, oh my God, Tarina. I didn't even catch the first time around. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure if I did either until Tilly kind of pointed it out. <laughs> yeah, I guess there were hints sprinkled throughout. I, I think it's an adorable relationship that they're forming. You know, it's been very slow roll, subtle, but also very charming. Yeah, I, I, I've joked or talked to teased it, but I don't do het ships very much being. <laughs> Very gay. Yeah. Um, but this is one pairing I'm all for. Uh, <laughs> you ship it? Yep, I ship it, much like nice. Picard and Laris. Uh, yeah, that's another yep. good one. You know, I've also realized, I think it's just older hat couples. I will, I'm okay shipping. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, but these two, they're sweet. And the whole season slowly getting together. Michael being able to share Vulcan advice to Saru was wonderful. Yeah, that was another good moment. Um, and then the holding hands by the end. Yeah. Like, oh. Once again, Star Trek makes a handhold just seem like the most romantic thing. <laughs> right? Yeah. Thoughts on Serena and Saru Ken? I thought they were a lovely couple. I'm looking forward to seeing more of them. I'm glad that she was able to come to this realization that you can have personal responsibility and personal relationships. I don't think that false dichotomy is unique to Vulcans. And so a lot of this season has been about not just telling the cast and crew what they need to hear, but also telling the audience what they need to hear. Like that time when 
Will Wien broke down in tears talking to, to, uh, to Tilly about the impact her character had on him, how he was literally part yeah. of Star Trek, and yet this was the first time he'd seen himself in a show. Yeah. Who knows who Saru and Tarina connected with? Who knows who needed to hear that? That you can do multiple things and be multiple things to multiple people. And whether that's compartmentalized or not, it can coexist. Yeah. That's another thing that I really appreciated about this season, just generally speaking, is we have this relationship giving that message, but we also have Book and Burnham doing the same thing, balancing private life with you know, ship duties and what have you. And I, I'm thinking back to Voyager where Janeway didn't feel like she really had that luxury. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that this it was shot in the 90s. We've come a long way. Burnham gets to have the life balance that Janeway could not have. We've We've at least come that far. It's nice that they're portraying that just because I do think a lot of people kind of get like too skewed one way or the other right? Like people get so invested in their careers, their life is their work and vice versa. And anything else takes a back seat to that when maybe it shouldn't be. Um, that is a great segue to Calmer. Yes. My favorite part of the whole season, by the way. <laughs> Just the doctor. Dr. Culber is the best thing besides Jet Reno in season four. <laughs> and that, I mean, because Grudge didn't get much screen time, let's be honest about that. <laughs> right, not enough, not enough. Yeah, but the fact that, okay, one, Colbert is really just trying to help the rest of the crew deal with their mental health issues, I think is a great thing. That seeking help and talking about things is good, yes. But also, the helpers need help too. They might not be okay as well. That work-life balance was something Culber had terrible, terrible uh, problems uh, working with. Uh, yeah, he he was taking too much on for himself. And even when he couldn't tell Book how much he blamed himself for this. Yeah. Yeah, I think about all those people who just can't disconnect from work, even if they leave the office for the day. You know, they go home and then they hop right on their email to see if anybody's anybody needs anything. It's like, you have to disconnect. You've got to create <laughs> a different space for yourself so you can refresh. Or they start cleaning their home, even though they have bots to do it because yes. they don't do, they don't have that. Zhuzh. I saw folks <laughs> on Twitter saying, "Oh, you know what? I do that too." <laughs> now you're talking about disconnecting. While we're recording this podcast, I'm on call at work and I have Slack really? open. <laughs> yeah, I'll go figure. <laughs> I only do have to do it one weekend every two months and or so, and this is my weekend. You know, one every two months is not too bad, though. I've heard far worse. <laughs> well, you know, I live only seven minutes away from the world's largest video game arcade, and I went there today, and I was only there for 10 minutes before I got a notice that a website had gone down. Oh. And I was like, well, I, <laughs> it's okay to step away from a computer as long as you're no more than 10 minutes away from one. So 10 yeah. minutes later, I was back at my computer. Yeah, um. but I mean... You, you got to have some fun. You attended to things as you needed to. You're doing your job. It's true. It's true. And on the bright side, I hoped that if I went to the world's largest arcade early on a Saturday, it wouldn't be crowded. I was wrong. Oh, really? <laughs> there were a lot of sticky children there. However, oh, wow. I did happen to notice that on the way in, I looked at their hours. Saturdays are when they're open latest until 11 p.m. Okay. And that's well past their bedtime. Oh. So you see, that's just the universe telling you to go later tonight. 
I really do need to go to this arcade multiple times a day. So yes, <laughs> it's that big. Um, I liked by the end that uh, he and Stamets are going on a real vacation. Yes, I'm so happy for them. Finally, <laughs> heck, the whole crew. Ken and I talked about multiple times for the start of the season was the first time there seemed to be any kind of break between like weeks break between the very beginning of the Klingon war to appearing in the 32nd century. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, they had like no time off, virtually none. And so they're finally getting a vacation after four years. Yes. And you and I talked about this over text, but I'll say it again here. I really want the season to start off like next season, season five to be like everybody coming back from their summer vacation and talking about like what they did, where they went, (laughs) what were they doing, you know, and everybody's refreshed and happy and that'll just be so much fun. I would love that so much. I feel like we do need more episodes mid season that are a bit slower paced and give both the bridge crew and the viewers time to breathe. And we've had episodes like that in other shows, like uh, Captain's Holiday, I believe was the name of the TNG episode, where Picard just went off on a planet, and that's where he met Vosh for the first time. It was Ryza. Yeah, didn't the crew make him take vacation? (laughs) I believe so. And then there was Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite in DS9, which I already mentioned once in this podcast episode. And there was also an Enterprise episode where I'm not having luck googling the name of the episode right now but i think they all went on vacation and hoshi sato got lucky uh yeah they went to risa that was also oh, risa yeah. uh-huh okay so now that i remember two days and two nights was the name of the episode there we go thank you once i knew it was risa right. so like I, I wouldn't mind seeing those vacations i don't think it's how we should start the next season with mid vacation and everybody suddenly gets called back to duty because there's another universe shattering crisis. Yeah. Could we not do that, please? (laughs) (laughs) One, don't interrupt their vacation. And then two, how do you feel about the fact that disco keeps doing the long overarching thing every season that we have some massive threat that's going to destroy the whole universe over and over again? It's, Getting like wow, this crew is becoming like wow. But uh, draining feels like a strong word, but normal is. I don't feel like a big, huge universe shattering thing should feel normal. No, no, it kind of loses its luster, and I'm frankly tired of it. I would love to see a season where they're just doing strange new worlds things and federation building things and having some of those pauses. Like what are these people like when they have time off to just goof off and have fun? Yeah. Um, I mean, and there are stories you can tell at a micro level that are still powerful and important to the characters. And yeah, I, it just feels weird. Like I actually had this one. I have, I have very few notes I want to bring up today, but this is kind of one that ties in exactly. I, I asked, is Star Trek a little fast and loose with the, destruction of planets these days or is <laughs> it kind of like the natural right or is it like the natural progression of the power level in the show like like when i think power level like in the video game sense like over time your characters get just super strong and you have to try to either either squish that down or just accept that they are now gods right and there's a lot of planet destroying now in star trek uh and so ken i'm gonna just jump around there thoughts there too 
What we need is a Star Trek version of New Game Plus, where we send them back to the first episode, but with all the powers and abilities they already have. (laughs) No, you're right. And it is... I don't think they should be doing Strange New World stuff, because that's what Star Trek Strange New Worlds is for. But I wonder what the alternative is, because I feel like our mere existence is always on the brink of collapse or erasure or destruction. And we just never knew it because there's somebody out there saving the day. And it's always the Star Trek discovery. (laughs) (laughs) It is. I think maybe the alternative to like to balance out what you're saying, Ken, and what I'm saying is mini arcs. Oh, like the fourth season of enterprise. Yeah. Like tell multi-part stories, but do it in, three episodes or four. And that way we don't have to have this massive existential threat every single freaking season where of course the universe is on the line. Well, what if it's not? (laughs) Can we take a breather from that and just have smaller problems that we have to work through? Because, you know, small problems can be important problems too. And that's, yeah. That's right. Um, I just finished D&D campaign of two years this last week. And by the end, like they were fighting some pretty powerful things. And now I'm like trying to figure out like, what's the next thing we're going to play. I mean, they were the characters were getting pretty strong, and now I have to bring it back down to the micro level. And like, I want to tell a story again that takes place in just like one town, uh, or the, in the area around it again. And maybe that's the entire campaign. Is this like fifty, you know, or whatever, two hundred fifty square mile area, instead of this whole country spanning, um, almost like globe, a continent spanning adventure. Because there are lots of stories you can tell at that smaller level, like bringing up Enterprise again. That was the season with the Vulcans. That was the season with the Klingons being affected by uh, the Augment virus. That was the Augment virus. That was season. Um, Yeah, the Temporal uh, War. Yeah, wrapping all that up. And so I would, I, Disco seems to be all in favor of, or even modern Trek, because even Picard season one did it, of universe ending threat. But I would love to see some small universe big deals again. Yeah, it would be refreshing at this point, for sure. One thing I don't feel like they have done in this season is really give the crew the opportunity to inquire about their lineage over the last 900 years. Like, what has changed? I would love to see them. They did briefly go back to Earth, but we really haven't seen them try to connect with anybody from this century. Hmm, that's an interesting thought. I never thought about it. <laughs> Maybe you know, they haven't either. They've been so swept up in galactic crises that they haven't had time to look up if they have family around. But, you know, that makes you think, if I was given a test, like, able to go see an ancestor from 1200, 1300, we would be so different, and I would have nothing to relate to other than, hey, we're blood family. Cool. Right, it's All true. Right. <laughs> I mean, and not that it's a good or bad thing, I'm just like, I have no connection to you other than blood. Right. Yeah. Would you care? Yeah. Or like a, or like a family member came from 3000, the year 3000. Okay. Hey, I'm your descendant. I don't know how magic, I guess. <laughs> but um, would we have much to really relate over? Yeah, maybe not. Or maybe you would. I, who knows? I don't know. I, mean, I would absolutely want that connection. Yeah. Even if we don't have shared family stories, I think it's still important to make that connection. In my nomading, when the pandemic struck, I was away from the place where I grew up 
And I went a year and a half without seeing anybody I was related to, either immediately or distantly, which was unprecedented in my life. And finally, a year and a half later, I was able to see my aunt and uncle. And granted, these are people who I already know and with whom I have a shared history. But going through their house, they were giving me a tour and I stepped into the kitchen and my jaw just dropped because there on the kitchen counter was my grandmother's cookie jar, (laughs) which I hadn't seen since she passed away 20 years ago. And I never would have thought to myself, gee, whatever happened to that cookie jar? It was just always in the background whenever I went to visit her. It's not like something I ever missed. But then when I saw it, I instantly knew where it was and I was transported back to being a kid in her house. And just having those unexpected connections can be important. I think if I was to connect with somebody from 900 years ago or 900 years from now, who knows what sort of things might show up that you don't expect. I mean, if Brent Spiner has a kid 900 years from now, it's going to look like Brent Spiner. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it will. (laughs) Yeah, the soon family lineage, it's very solid. (laughs) Uh, I mean, there's always, you know, I can go back to my neighborhood and, hmm, that tree's still there. Wow, that tree's... Um, yeah, but that's also like here on a different scale between 2,400 and 3,200, uh, you know, the society had, you know, generally moved into every part of the earth. And so the same buildings or same regions would kind of start being in some places where no one was, there were very few people standing where I'm living right now. Yeah. Uh, so Earth would have looked a lot more. Maybe Earth would look less different between twenty four hundred and thirty two hundred uh, than it would between uh, twelve hundred and two thousand. Maybe so. It might also just be interesting to see what happened in between. Yeah, that might be the most interesting thing to me if I were in that situation. Is how did we get from here to here, and who were these people that I? and related to that I don't even know that they existed and they're already long gone. And what did they do and how did it build up to now? That would be interesting. Yeah. We really don't know what has happened in the last 900 years, except how it impacted the Federation. Yeah. We know about the burn. That's about it. But what else did they discover in 900 years of exploring or rather 750 years of exploring the known universe and going out and meeting new life and new civilizations there's so much there and i even talked we're getting towards an hour here but like yeah i mentioned like last week where how fast is warp travel because he's to move at the speed of plot because <laughs> at the beginning of the season we're seeing signs and pictures about stuff in the delta quadrant and all of a sudden at the end of season four it'll take decades to get home on warp travel I'm like well how big is how big is the galaxy to you anymore um there's a lot of unknowns there there's a lot of unknowns about the current day that I would love to explore. That seems like a very logical avenue for the next season is maybe catching us up a little bit on what has happened and what what was going on in the Federation before the burn. Yeah. Would, would it be too late to do that, though? Because by that point, they will have been in that century for two seasons. And now they're going to say, oh, by the way, let's establish where we are and what happened in the meantime. I don't think so. I mean, it- Klingons, we don't know what they're up to. Um, the Borg, the Borg, if they're still a thing, uh, it doesn't seem like yeah. anyone is scared of them anymore. Um, well, I don't know. Season two of Picard, yeah. she's a menace, and I love it. 
I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit of rapid fire here because we're hitting an hour. Uh, We got to see more of the crew, just doing crew things, being people. Yes. How about that bar? Uh, Yes, we got to see the new set at the bar. That place Uh, looks cozy. I want to (laughs) go. There's almost always a Larian there drinking uh, after morn. Yes. Um, We had a Ferengi bartender at the end. Um, 10C, we haven't talked about them much. Yeah. I think Uh, of all the galactic big, you know, storyline enemies, this was probably the most interesting just because this really was alien to us. The universal translator was not going to help us talk this one out. You know, it was very Darmok-esque. And that was cool. That's a good analogy. I was thinking about the Amy Adams movie Arrival, but you're right. We don't have to go outside the Star Trek universe for a metaphor. We have Darmok. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. We also talked in metaphors. hi um, <laughs> But 10C, I thought was really cool. Like at the beginning of the season, you know, I was proposing like, if it's people we know, it could be XYZ. And if it's not, then I have no clue. And I'm, I'm I, you know, I kind of like more that it was people we didn't know. Yeah, know, me too. Like, very alien to Star Trek, which was neat to see. Yeah. My money was on V'ger at the beginning yeah. of the season. And <laughs> I'm not disappointed that that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to introduce new things. We love the callbacks for us old fans, but expanding the lore is a good thing too. It is. And we get plenty of callbacks in Lower Decks, and we're even getting some in Picard. So there's plenty to go around. And even in Discovery season two, when they went back to, to Talos four, right? Yeah. I was just telling someone about that cool intro they did, where they put the pilot last time on Star Trek. That was should, cool. oh, that was such a cool thing. Um, so Ten C, like honestly, like, we didn't we really talk about them much here because um, we really didn't interact with them much. I thought it was like we just said it was they were cool. I don't see antagonists because they're not villains. And no, I think I liked where that resolved. Yeah, it really wasn't much of a surprise, at least to me, that, oh, they didn't mean to do what they were doing. Because I, I kind of figured, oh, they don't even understand what it is, the effect that they're having. And so it was much more interesting. Just the process of figuring out how to communicate was far more interesting to me than resolving the plot line itself, honestly. Yeah, that was my favorite part of the finale, was just watching them work through the communications and Unfortunately, as is often the case with Star Trek, we'll never see or hear from the Tennessee again. Not for a good, what, 20, 30 years? Yeah, when they join the Federation. (laughs) (laughs) And they'll come back in some future incarnation of Star Trek. And they'll be serving on starships. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, We got to see a little of the universe, um, like the Pleasure Barge. Oh, yeah. I just like seeing like in-universe, not Starfleet. Um, yeah. Whenever we get a chance to explore the not star the Starfleet Federation part of the universe, I always get a kick out of that. It happened in Disco and with the Klingon, um, Kronos or Kling. Um, uh, we get to see like their little food bar, uh, like, like street street vendors. Um, Picard, we get to go to see um, Stardust City, and so we got to see this this um, casino. I like I like it. Maybe the episode could have gone either way but i just like seeing the rest of the universe yeah just seeing the slice of life we 
did not get nearly enough of that in older Star Trek. So I am glad that they're throwing that in for us now. We got to see a bunch of the modern takes on aliens, like the Ferengi, meh, to me. Or <laughs> uh, the Insectoid Zindi, meh, to me. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, still no Klingons. We got to see some Romulans. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if yep, we will catch up with Klingons at some point. Are they still kicking? Are they still fighting? Yeah. I don't know. Or have like the lawyer cast t- over, you know, risen above the warrior cast? <laughs> All and- the Klingon, they're a lawyer planet now. <laughs> <laughs> they run legal Zoom. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Just Klingons in a courtroom and, you know, that's, they, they got to go and fight with honor in the courtroom for all the glory <laughs> to win their I mean, case. There's something appealing to that about that. Not going to lie. <laughs> but, but they can assure you they're not a cat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really want to hear a Klingon growling that now. I am not a cat. <laughs> Sir, I protest. Exactly. That's what I- Oh, yeah, he's not a merry man. That's what I was trying to channel. Yay. Another character, Zora. Zora. Oh, my God. We didn't even talk about Zora. Um, Yeah, Zora had a pretty big part and then all of a sudden fell off. Yeah, she f- slinked into the background and... <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of that, if you couldn't tell. But I do love Zora. I love what they're doing with her. And I loved how the crew... I forget where exactly in the season it is, but it's like midway where I think Burnham says, oh yeah, by the way, Zora's sentient. And the crew is just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, like even saying like, Zora, will you join me in my radio room? Uh, yeah. You know, like I loved it. An actual character uh, in the computer. Yeah. Um, it's cool. Zora got more development than some of the people who've been on the bridge since season one. <laughs> yes, unfortunately. <laughs> but, um, oh, I think maybe the last thing I'm going to bring up in case anyone else before anyone else has anything, the weird forcing backstory at the most inopportune moments was a huge downer. Oh yeah. They're trying to give us moments with the bridge crew, but it's kind of awkward. They kind of stumbled a few times. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. They really had to insert those characters in there and try to make them important. And it just didn't quite work. I appreciate the attempt, but it really didn't play out very organically. Anyone else have anything you want to make sure to add in there? I would like to know how we each rank the four seasons of Discovery from best to worst or best to least best. Wow. Oh, man. That's tough. (laughs) Season four might be my favorite. And I don't know if that's a recency bias or not, but I do just enjoy this crew talking through things. Like one of the things I've not really liked too much personally about disco is like just it's a constant action flick they're moving from plot point to plot point to plot point and i know for some people that's what they love about it so that's great but the fact that they slow down a little and the characters talk this season puts it at the top for me at least for right now i think my ranking so far possibly recency bias is four two three one i might Uh, be right there with you yeah we talked a lot about how Discovery Season 3 was just, like, dragging on. Uh, like, what is the big deal? What's the burn? Come on, just tell us. Give us anything. And here they... It didn't feel as trickle-down uh, information as Season 3. 
Yeah, uh, it seemed like a much more better paced season. Yeah, which a lot of people disagree with. A lot of people think this was poorly paced, and I, I disagree. Yeah. Not saying it was the best, but it's better than what we've gotten. How about that? Better. Yeah, that's the key yeah. word. Uh, Ken? Two, four, three, one. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Although I might have to put three and one tied because season one did have the mirror universe and Captain Killy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was good stuff. Not going to lie. Yeah. A lot of people hate the mirror universe. I get a kick out of it. And it was not as long as I remember it when I rewatched season one. No, season one is like mostly Klingon war. Let's briefly pop over to the mirror universe. And then we go back to the Klingon war. Yeah, I remember being like half a season, but it wasn't. <laughs> I didn't particularly like how they jumped from thing to thing. Like it's like, oh, okay, we're doing the mirror universe now. But at the same time, yeah, it was, it was, it had its moments. It was fun. I am not a big fan of the mirror universe though. So I was a little like, oh God, they're going to do this again. But then <laughs> Captain Killy was pretty cool. So. <laughs> I mean, the assertiveness that we saw in Tilly in the season four finale, we first saw when she portrayed Captain Killy in season one. It's true. You know, yeah. she has reclaimed that part of herself. Kind of like in Buffy when Willow met her mirror self and learned that, oh, there are some things about her that are inside me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Tilly had amazing growth. Like, I think she works great as a teacher. Absolutely. Uh, she did great with those students and great at the end, taking charge, willing to go down with Vance to make sure people and her, her cadets get home, get away safely. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. She's a true leader. We didn't really talk a lot about Michael herself. And on her own. But I think she is one of my favorite captains now. Uh, she really came into her own here in this season and really proved herself. Yeah, I agree. This by far is my favorite season of Michael Burnham, this favorite incarnation, I guess. She has really turned into an amazing captain. And I would gladly serve on her ship. Right? Like, yeah. We saw her. Be okay and allowed to be emotional on the bridge. Um, a lot of like even Picard, like, no, I don't do this, I go to my ready room, and she would too. But like when she thought she lost Book, when yeah. she's trying to help Book in season or episode two when he's on the tether, she has she goes in her cone of silence and talks him down. Yeah. Um, and or you know, even like the thing with Saru and or talking to her crew. Um, she grew a lot in the mm. season and. I already liked her a lot, uh, and I just love her now. I did like her in season three when she was struggling with whether or not to even remain in Starfleet because mm-hmm. she had that one extra year in the future that the rest of Discovery did not. I, th- I would say my three favorite facial expressions that Michael Burnham has ever made were two of them were right in the season four finale was when she thought Book had died and then when she found out he was still alive. And my other favorite is when Vance offered her the captaincy of Discovery. Mm-hmm. Ah. And she was just so shocked. Like, she was like, yeah, Saru's just that too. Pretty funny, huh? And Vance is like, no, I want you to have it. And she's like, wait, what? <laughs> it was almost like she had never seriously considered it until that moment. And she was just blown away by it. And this is coming from an admiral who, for the first part of the season, we weren't sure if he was a good guy or not. Right. Yeah. That's easy to forget now. Yeah. I I love the 
as I've mentioned in previous episodes of this podcast, the evolution of President Rillick and of the Admiral, Admiral Vance, because both times they start off really at odds with our crew, which makes us distrust them. And then they develop this wonderful relationship. And I've, I've really enjoyed seeing that happen with these characters that they introduce. And I hope that they continue to appear in future seasons. Like we saw the president of the Federation, not once in the entire third season. And now she's everywhere in season four. So who knows who we may see all the time in season five, Stacey Abrams. <laughs> that would be amazing. She might be a little busy though. Well, if Whoopi Goldberg can be a regular on TNG, I mean, <laughs> you never okay, know. I, yeah. Did Stacey Abrams know. just launch her acting career? She did a lot of theater in college and high school. Oh, did she? Yes. Hey. This was not her first acting experience. That's awesome. I did not know that. Yep. That would be um, super cool. If anything, could we just get at least one really good cameo from her a year? Yes. Just like we did this <laughs> season? Because it really was a surprise. I did not know that was coming. And I'm just like, oh, Stacy and effing <laughs> Abrams? Yeah. N- nobody knew it. In fact, when she filmed that scene last August, she said her only condition was that she had to not know anything else about the season in which she was appearing because nice. she wanted to be able to sit down and watch it and be surprised. <laughs> that is so awesome. That's Amazing. the mark of a true fan right there. Kovic. He had a little bit here. To, he was the one who told um, Culber to go on vacation. He was the one who had a little trial for Zora. It was actually more like a trial for the crew. And then he stole one of the crew members so he could go be on another st- a TV show. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bryce. Reese, Bryce. Hey, those two. The 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 ending get me so confused in the last Bryce and Reese. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But the actor went on a new show, so that's why they got rid of him and replaced him. But um, gotcha. Kovic, yeah, he was here a bunch too. Um, a little bit, and also helped. Uh, oh, and our translator, our linguist, Doctor Hirai. There we go. That okay, that guy, that guy. Yep. Yeah. And so those are other characters. They didn't have a huge bunch. To, a huge bunch. I word much good. You can tell I'm a writer. <laughs> um, uh, but, but they all had their little parts. And um, they were all neat little additions. I don't think I hated any new character. Even Tarka. I didn't hate him. I wish I was just given an opportunity to appreciate him better. Yeah. I, yeah, I if anything, maybe uh, I might have actually hated him. Just knowing, okay... This is the way this one's going to be. I, it took it just took me out of it. I couldn't get invested in what he was doing, which sucks because I remember in that first episode where he appears, I thought he was a really interesting character. Like he really could be some sort of mysterious menace. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? But then they went straight for bad guy. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm glad uh, we didn't have anybody go like full on bad moral or anything like that. <laughs> that was kind of nice and refreshing. Yes. Uh, that's all I had. Overall, I liked the season. Uh, had issues, but overall, I liked it. Your all thoughts? I, mean, I think we shared them about what we liked and didn't like and how they ranked, so, yeah. Yeah, pretty solid season, and it's gotten better on, on certain points for me. So I'm liking Disco more and more as the seasons go on. And I'm hoping that it's the first Star Trek since Voyager to run a full seven seasons, at least. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, sure. Thank you so much for joining us on this very special episode, number 100 
of Transporter Lock. Thank you so much for having me and happy 100th. Yay. And a disco ball. Remind our listeners one more time where to find you online. Sure. Find me on Twitter. My handle is oh the profanity. Very good. There will be a link to that in the show notes. Until episode number 101. I want to know what happened to the triple in episode one that was walking around the Discovery deck, but also, let's fly. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. I was rewatching. I forgot. There was a trouble just walking around. Michael and Book just kind of smile as they step over it, as it's like, and just keeps on going. And that's it. Oh, my God. <laughs> it had somewhere to be. Yeah. Probably needs to go to sick bay and have babies or something. Maybe. It's like, I just ate. I got to give birth. <laughs> <laughs> don't get it wet. Don't feed it after midnight. <laughs>